Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning. My name is Justin, and I'll be reading the chapter of Psalms 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and the things you plan for us. None can compare with you, were I to speak and tell of all your deeds. They would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come in, it is written, about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God, your laws within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts is the greatly assembled I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. There are more than hairs on my head, and heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But many all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for you, saving help, always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help, my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Let us pray. Father, we're truly thankful to be here this morning. We're truly thankful for your grace and your mercy. And just as uh, we are reading in this chapter 40, Lord, it sounds a lot like us. Um, God, we are in dire need of you for your protection, for your guidance, for your saving power, for your love. Everything that you are, God, we, we need that. And just as we worship today, Lord, that we could decrease, that you would increase, that there would be less of us in our everyday life and more of you. Father, I pray that as the uh, word will be spoken today, that, Lord, it will convict our hearts, that it will pierce and penetrate our hearts. Lord, God, that uh, we can leave here changed, renewed, refreshed, and convicted. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, Justin. Appreciate you reading our passage this morning. It's awesome. And thanks so much for worshiping with us today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, I want to say a couple of uh, special just thank yous really quickly. Number one to Ellie Malcolm for leading us in worship today. It's our first time leading us as a church in worship. It's very cool. Ellie uh, grew up here at Grace Fellowship. Her mom and dad, Andy and Julie, and uh, her sister, Analia, have uh, been here at Grace. Andy's on our staff team. And so Ellie's now a student at Liberty University and home for the summer. And yeah, we can clap for Liberty, I guess. Um, I don't know, we want to do a roll call. What other schools did you guys go to? 
Um, but uh, but she's doing a great job, and just so thankful to, to have her leading worship today. It was awesome, and appreciate her very much. I also want to say thank you to Cliff Ward, uh, one of our elders, last week who got a phone call on Saturday saying, hey, I have COVID. Is there any chance you could preach for me? And he said, yeah, I can do that. Uh, it's hard when you're coming. He was driving home from the beach after a couple of weeks of vacation and said, yeah, I can preach tomorrow. So uh, incredible servant and appreciate him and just did an, an awesome job talking about uh, the topic of church leadership when it concerns deacon ministry. We're going to pick that up again today. Uh, but he really picked those notes up and helped carry that conversation and, uh, and did a great job. I love listening to Cliff teach and uh, we're going to miss him so much. He and his family are going to be moving to Chattanooga later this summer. He's got a teaching role, uh, another college. And so he's going to be at Covenant College in, um, in Tennessee. And so uh, excited about him having that opportunity, but we're going to be missing him and his family while they're, they're gone for that. Uh, then I want to say uh, how excited and encouraged I was by our J-term this past week. If you got to be here and to be a part of those conversations that we had and, and hear the, the teaching and the, the different um, breakout sessions and be a part of those, it was really, really good. I got to do a few of them from home while I was still recovering and then got to be here the last couple of nights for that. Uh, here's what I loved about it. The, the topics we were covering were challenging things. I mean, we were using a book as a resource by Rebecca McLaughlin called uh, Confronting Christianity, things that our world is asking about our belief and our faiths as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. And then what's our response supposed to be to the world when we're asked about some hard things? Uh, and so this book really tackles some challenging topics. Uh, we had 10 different presenters this past week that talked about these issues in TED Talk kind of formats and then in breakouts where we could do some discussion. But what I loved about those was Eight of the ten were people from inside of our church that presented on those things and did a phenomenal job uh, being able to do that. Every night that I listened in, I was just like, whoa, that was so good. Um, Nathan Ellis did the, the first night on Monday uh, when I was supposed to present and talk about a topic. And man, he just knocked it out of the park on like less than one day's notice that he was going to take that topic. And so I texted him and I said, I think God let me have COVID today because you were supposed to do that talk anyway. It was just so much better than anything I would have done. And, uh, and he just crushed it. And so super grateful for that. But in listening to people in our church talk that are, that are passionate about their faith, that are knowledgeable about their faith, that, that really understand how to live out their faith in this world, it was super cool for me as a pastor just to be like, man, God has brought some incredible people into our church. And we've been able to disciple people in our church to raise up leaders and teachers and, and those different kinds of things. It's always incredible when you can go, man, I don't, nobody even misses me when I'm not here. That's great. Like the quality is so good that even when I'm not here, nobody cares. And so that's awesome. Um, and I say that to get us to the next point because I'm not going to be here the next two Sundays either. Um, so, uh, uh, and usually in church world, there's a joke like the pastor, don't tell people when you're not going to be at church because people will go, well, if he's not coming, I'm not coming either. Um, so anyway, my family, I'm going to be gone next Sunday. We're going to be at the beach with our family and then I'll be here the Sunday after, but Nathan Ellis is going to be preaching that Sunday and you don't want to miss out. So the next two weeks, here's what it's going to look like. Uh, two guys in our church, Drew Dennison and Nathan Ellis are going to be speaking. Uh, Drew, who's getting ready, he and his wife, 
wife, Emily. Emily's on our staff team. They're moving at the end of the summer to Kansas City, Missouri to go to Midwestern Seminary. Drew's got a call in his life by God to full-time ministry. He's going out to seminary to be equipped more for that. And before he leaves, we said, man, we want you to to have a chance to preach one more time and just talk to our people. And he's going to be sharing with you about what God's been doing in his life when it comes to being a disciple who's learned to make disciples of Jesus and how God's radically transformed him in that process. Uh, So that's going to be this coming up Sunday. Then the next week, Nathan is going to be talking about Samson. Um, Samson was a habitual sinner, just like me and just like you. Uh, Some might say that we are addicted to sin. And the way to beat an addiction is one small step at a time. And so Nathan's going to be talking about what we can learn from the life of Samson in our own fight and struggle against sin and how we take a stand against the things that we're addicted to, the things that we are struggling with in our lives. So you don't want to miss the next two Sundays, all right? I'm saying all of that to tell you, be here and check it out. It's going to be really, really really good. All right. All right. So with those things being said, I want us to dive in today. Um, I am still, I'm recovered from COVID, but I still have some congestion. So if I have to take a pause and drink something at some point along the way, I apologize for that, but uh, it might happen. All right. So we want to dive in and pick up a little bit with where we talked about last weekend. We talked about how the early church experienced some difficulty as it got founded and established. And so you see some incredible things that take place on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls on the followers of Jesus and comes into play and invades their lives lives and takes center stage in the life of the followers of Jesus, that they are then encouraged and empowered to go out into the surrounding community in Jerusalem and start preaching about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the right hand of the Father and the salvation that's available to sinners through a relationship with Jesus. And so Peter and the apostles begin to preach and teach. And on the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter uh, 2 that 3,000 people accepted Jesus that day and became members of the church. Like, that's a good Sunday right there, right? Uh, And so 3,000 people become members of the church and jump into this movement of Jesus. But what's beautiful about it is is that it's not just a, hey, we said a prayer, we made a commitment, now we're going to go on our way and do our own thing and never really think about this thing again. I think I've kind of gotten fire insurance. I invited Jesus into my life so I don't have to go to hell when I die. The church founded on Jesus said, no, we're going to be bought in. We're going to be with each other. And the rest of the first few chapters of the book of Acts, talk about what the church looked like, that they would meet together in the synagogues, that they would surround themselves by the apostles and they would listen to the apostles' teaching, that they would go into people's homes and that they would break bread with each other and share meals together, that that they spent time in fellowship with one another. And again, that the apostles' teaching would be center in that, that they would listen to the things that were being taught about Jesus in the middle of all that. Not only that, but they would meet the needs of other people in their community. That nobody in the church was in need at any point in time. And, and you see that this is so countercultural in the Roman Empire where everything in Rome is every man for himself. In the church, it's everyone for everyone else. And the community around the disciples and around the early Christians, they're watching all these things unfold, and it's beautiful because they're seeing something that they've never seen before in their lifestyle, in their lifetime. They're seeing what people who really genuinely follow Jesus are supposed to look like and what it means to have a relationship with God. And not only that, but people are coming in to the church and they're finding help and they're finding grace to overcome their sins. 
They're finding freedom in their life from the things that have held them in bondage and captivity in their personal lives. And they're finding this hope through grace. And it's just a beautiful picture of everything that's taking place in the early church. But then Cliff kind of brought up where we need to talk about a little bit more today and keep the conversation going, is that with any growing organization, with any growing moving thing, there's bound to be problems that hit, right? And so in the church, they're, they're no different. You've got somewhere between 20 and 25 to 30,000 people in the first several months of the early church that have become believers in Jesus, centered in Jerusalem and around the surrounding area, and they're following after Jesus, and there's all these things that are taking place, all these needs that are being met, but there comes a point in time where some needs are not met like they should be. And Acts tells us that the Hellenistic Jews, those who had Greek-speaking backgrounds, complained against the Hebraic Jews, those who had Hebrew-speaking backgrounds and were Christians, saying that the Hebrews were being taken care of, their widows were being taken care of in the daily distribution of food for widows, while the Greeks were not. And so this trouble rises, and you find that in the moral fabric of the church early on, there's the opportunity for division to take place. And a lot of people would just go, well, I mean, that's okay, right? Like most of them are being taken care of. It's okay if some aren't, but the apostles have a different approach. And we're going to talk about that again in just a minute. But here's what I want us to see when we get to Acts chapter six, that the apostles come alongside of this group and they say, here's the problem. We don't want to, and we shouldn't take our attention off of prayer and speaking the word of God and, and teaching and equipping people in order to wait on tables. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to select among yourselves seven men who are going to help meet this need. And these guys become eventually known as deacons. It's not titled that in this passage, but eventually that's the role that takes place in the church. And so we said last week that our desire by the end of this year as a church is to follow this biblical example that we want to have a deacon ministry. We've never had that as a church. If you've missed our explanation as to why, you can go back and catch Cliff's message last week. Uh, but we want to move into a place where there's a deacon ministry in our church. All growing churches and all churches that are planning for growth and all organizations that are planning for growth know and understand that the leadership structure you have at a certain stage can't be the leadership structure you continue as you grow. Right? And so what you can do with a church of 50 people in a leadership model and structure, you can't do with 150 people. And what you can do in leadership structure and model with 300 people, you can't do with 500 people. It eventually will collapse on itself if you don't continue to adapt and grow and change. And so in the early church, as this growth starts taking place, there's already the apostles, there's already some teachers, there's already people who are hosting groups in their homes, but they look at this and they go, but there's still a need. And now as we've ballooned to 25, 30,000 people and some people aren't being taken care of, we need some other guys to step up and do something to meet this need. So they establish this role of deacons. And it's not even fully fleshed out here yet, but by the time we get to the end of the message, we're going to see how it's grown and adapted and changed. And so the question today that we're going to be asking, if we're going to have deacons in our church, is who can be a deacon? Right? So if we establish and say deacons are a body of ministry in the church and we want to have deacons in our church, then who can do that? Who can fulfill that role? To some of you, 
this is going to be really technical and it won't matter to you all that much. I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of you guys are going to check out and you're going to be like, I don't care. Um, we just, whatever you guys say, we're going to do and we're going to go along with it. So you just make the decisions and go for it, right? That's how some of you will feel. That's okay. Others of you will go, man, you know what? I never really grew up in a church where deacon ministry existed. I don't even know a whole lot about that. I'm curious and interested to hear about these, these ministry and how it's going to work out and what are we going to do with it as our church and here at Grace Fellowship? What is this going to look like? Then there's going to be a third group of you that's going to go, you know what? Deacon ministry in the local church has been a part of my past. I come from a specific denomination or background, and, and I have kind of this working structure about how deacons function and operate and what their biblical role is. And there's a chance you might disagree with me about some things today that I say. If that's the case, and you go, hey, we have some differences of opinion, I just want you to know that you can come and talk to myself, talk to our elders. We would love to have a conversation with you about how we've landed where we have when it comes to our decisions about implementing a deacon ministry. Hopefully this morning we'll clear some things up, but if you want to have a deeper conversation, we would love to do that. So let's look one more time at Acts chapter 6. We're going to see one thing in this passage that determines who a deacon can be. Then we're going to move forward in history to a letter that Paul writes to First Timothy or to Timothy in First Timothy chapter 3 and explore a little more of the answer to that question, who can be a deacon. So here's Acts chapter 6 verses 3 and 4. It says this, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility, remember the responsibility, the, the Hellenistic women are not being taken care of in the daily distribution of bread, that needs to stop. So he goes, we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention as apostles to prayer and the ministry of the word. All right. So when we see the apostles begin this deacon ministry or this deacon idea, here's what we answer the question, who can be a deacon? Number one, and if you're taking notes, just write this down or follow along on our app. A deacon is full of the wisdom, uh, is full of the spirit and wisdom. Right? So when we ask the question, well, who can be a deacon? If that's a biblical role for the church, who gets to step into that role? How are you going to determine in our church who should be deacons? Deacons are servants. That's the number one thing about a deacon. The word deacon in the Greek just means servant. So in an official capacity, we're all servants. We are all called diakonos, right? So you are a deacon. You are a servant. But in the official role and capacity in the church... We would look at this and say, who is a deacon in a role and capacity? Peter points out and the apostles point out and say it needs to be somebody that's full of the spirit and wisdom. And here's why that's true. Because they're going to be dealing with people and people get crazy. You guys ever experienced that in your life? An individual can be cool and calm and collected. A group of people that have a problem can be insane right? And so if you're going to minister to people with a problem, hey, we've got the Hebrewic lady, ladies over here being treated one way. We've got the Hellenist ladies over here being treated another way. This is a problem. There's some tension. There's some infighting that's going on. We need some guys that are going to step in and deal with this. You should probably be full of the spirit and wisdom if you're going to address these problems, right? So when it comes to who can be a deacon, when, it, when we look at people in the church to say, when we put people in place to serve in these capacities, one of the critiques or areas that we look at is, man, what is the spirit of God doing in your life? Is there growth there? Do you display the fruit of the spirit in your life? Are you able to move in that spirit and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit? And do you show wisdom, right? So 
That's all the apostles say at this point. There's a need, deal with the need. Get some guys with the spirit in them who are wise and then move forward in dealing with the need, right? And we never see that need come up in the early church again in the, in the first century because it's dealt with in, the, in Jerusalem at least. It's dealt with through the spirit and wisdom in these men. So um, one of the most frustrating things that can happen in life when you have a problem like these people had a problem is dealing with customer service. Anybody love to make phone calls to customer service? No, of course not. No one raises their hand because no one likes to deal with customer service. Um, you do? Fantastic. You're one in a million, buddy. Uh, and so we don't have anybody who would go, yeah, it's my favorite thing to call and talk to customer service. Uh, my family, last October, my wife and I were going to be going to Mexico for a week and had this pastoral retreat that we were going on. And we had, for months ahead, booked our tickets, got our airline stuff, all of it was done. And it was going to be great. We couldn't wait for it. About two weeks before our flight, we get a notification from the airline. Hey, we've changed your flight. That happens, right? Flights change. We were going, okay, so does that mean we're leaving a couple of hours earlier, a couple of hours later? They're like, no, no, no. We changed your flight from Monday to Wednesday. We're like, no, that does not work. That is half of our vacation. And we don't want to do that. So my wife has to get on the phone with customer service, right? I don't even remember Delta American, somebody. We're talking to the airlines. She's on hold for hours and hours, and hours, and hours. And you finally get a representative, and they don't know how to fix the problem, and it's a mess, and it's crazy. And finally, after literally about six hours, we get a flight on the day we're supposed to leave at the time we're supposed to leave, right? So we're happy again. Great. We're going to Mexico. The next day, we get a notification. Your flight's been canceled. Oh, fantastic. Great. Here we go again. Hours and hours and hours on customer service, hold, waiting, trying to deal with a representative to get this problem fixed, right? And it's all spiritual warfare. This was a pastor retreat. The plane was going to be full of pastors. We were all going to the same place. Satan's going, not today, right? And so uh, we're going, nah, we really feel like we're supposed to be in Mexico on the day we paid you to take us to Mexico. So get that done. Finally, they did, but it was a mess, right? Just a mess, and when you think about the early church, the same thing could have been true here, where people looked at some things, and we go, when we talk about customer service in our country, a lot of times people would rather just be like, you know what, we'll just lose you as a customer instead of all the chaos we're going to have to go through to fix the problem. We'd rather you just be mad at us and go find another supplier. Go find another airline, go find another whatever provider, and just sorry, we lost you as a customer. Big deal. The apostles could have done the exact same thing. Hey, most of the women are being taken care of. That's a good thing, right? There's a few over here that are raising a complaint and they've got an argument, a problem. But like, it's okay if some people don't. No, it's not. The apostles look in and they go, this is what's different about the early church and everything else in their society. They go, man, there's a problem. We've got to deal with the problem. We've got to fix the issue. And how are we going to do that? For us as apostles, we're not going to take our responsibility away from what God has specifically called us for or ordained us to do, to, to teach the word of God, to be in prayer, to minister to people and to shepherd the church that's growing and expanding. So we're not going to step away from that to come over here and serve bread in the kitchen line. Not that that's an illegitimate function, but just it wouldn't be right for us to do that. So equip some guys to take care of that problem and meet that need. And that's exactly what they do. They don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. They want everyone to be taken care of. And so deacon ministry is established to meet the needs within the church. That's why it exists, and that's what we hope to see take place when we include this as well, is that there are things that we've probably been doing as elders that really should be given to deacons to do. 
and that we should equip some people to take care of and to, to handle those things. So in Acts 6, we see that there's the people who are chosen as deacons to meet the needs of the widows were men. So here's the next question and the next part of what we're going to talk about. When we say who can be a deacon, can women be deacons? Right? Can women serve in that role? What does that look like? And so we're going to address and tackle that for just a second. And the New Testament is really clear about the role of elder, pastor, overseer, shepherd. That's one office with or four kind of ways that we talk about that thing, but it's the same Greek word. So when you talk about an elder, a pastor, that same title, overseer, it's all one thing, right? It's interchangeable and it's one thing. And scripture in the New Testament especially is very clear that that is a role reserved for men. That when God calls elders and pastors to, to pastor and equip and lead the church, that those are roles reserved for men. Not because women are incapable, not because women are less than, not because women can't do certain things. It's just that God has ordained in two ways men leadership, male leadership, in the home, in the family, and in the church. Right? And so he said, as the church is structured, as the family is structured, I'm placing men at the head of that. And he takes it back to creation. He goes, just as Adam was created first and then Eve to be a serving and helpmate for Adam, to be alongside of him, so in the church and in the family, there's going to be male leadership for elders and overseers. But then that takes us to the place where we go, well, what about women? So let's look at the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when it comes to elders, and then we're going to jump into the deacon conversation. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must, be a, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into the disgrace and into the devil's trap. All right? So in talking about elders, overseers, pastors, he says these are men. He talks about men. He talks about their wives. He says it's something that they're supposed to do to lead their family. This is a role for men. Then Paul turns his attention to deacons in the same passage, next verse. These are servants in the church. Deacons are not less than elders. They just have a different calling and function than elders. All right? So he says, here's what I want you to see. It's a matter of calling more than it is about status. And I want you to see how he addresses this. Verse 8. In the same way, tying back to the leadership structure with elders, in the same way that elders function, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. So when Paul turns the page from talking about the role of elder to talking about the deacons, he uses this term, in the same way. In the same way that elders do this and function this way in the church, let's talk about deacons. And he uses that term in a generic sense, not he doesn't give it male or female, he just says deacons. Then he's going to drop down two or three more verses, and in verse 8 he says, in the same way again. And this time he says, in the same way women 
right? You're going, all right, so when Paul talks about this, does he mean the wives of deacons? Does he mean women in general? Or does he mean women deacons? If you drop down to verse 12, the next thing he says is, a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. So he talks about men in that capacity. Here's what Paul's doing. He's making an argument for deacon ministry. He's affirming deacon ministry. And he says this, deacons have to function this way. Why, uh, women who are deacons and deacons who have wives. And he lines up these three things and he says deacons overall, then he talks about women who are deacons, then he talks about men who are deacons. All right. So Paul's structure here, he's not taking a break. A lot of people go, well, he's talking about deacons, then he talks about women, and then he talks about deacons again. He's not doing that. He doesn't take a break in the middle of it and go, let's talk about deacons, then let's address women in general, and then let's come back to the deacon conversation. That's not a logical train of thought that Paul follows. He's doing one consistent train of thought, right? The other thing is an argument from silence. And here's what I mean by that. When he talks about elders, he doesn't stop in the middle of his conversation about elders and go, and let's talk about this, the way that elders' wives should treat one another and how they should live and how that should look for them. He doesn't take a, middle, a break in the middle of the discussion about elders and go, and let's talk about the women who are, who are not elders. So he doesn't do that with elders, and he doesn't do it with deacons. He's having one conversation. He's saying there are deacons who are in ministry in the church. This is the way the women deacons need to think and function and operate. This is the way that the men need to think and function and operate. But it's one office. So for us, when we ask the question, who can be a deacon in the church, especially here at Grace Fellowship, this is the only church that we're answering that question for, not the church in large, not overall. But for us, when we talk about this, the elders have come to a place where we've said, for deacons, when we implement this role of deacon in our church, women will serve in that capacity as well. That we see a biblical example of this, a biblical model for this, and that it's a title and a role that women and men serve in. In fact, the only role in place in our church that women do not serve in is as an elder and pastor, right? Women do everything else in our church. We have a female who led worship this morning. We have females who are on our staff team. We have females who are team leaders. We have females who lead small groups. We have females who, uh, who serve in various capacities in our church. Women can do everything in the church except be the elder pastor, right? So when we come to this place that we say, what does this look like for us in implementing this new ministry of deacons in our church? Women will serve in that like men and with men because we believe that's the way that God has ordained some of these things to happen, all right? To answer that question, to give a little bit more support to it, let's go to Romans chapter 16. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Paul says, I want to commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centraea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. And so most historians, most scholars in this field believe that Phoebe is the person who, when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, she was the letter carrier, that she was the one who took Paul's letter and delivered it to the Romans, probably with a group of people, but she was given that responsibility. And Paul calls her very clearly here. I want to commend to you our sister Phoebe. She's a deacon in the church at Centria. And so Paul identifies her and says, she's a deaconess. She's a leading in that role. And the way that she does that, she's been a benefactor to many, including myself. So he says, serve her the same way that she has served. 
And she's been a benefactor. She's blessed people through her service, whether that's through financial means or her place and role in society or whatever it was. He says she's benefited and blessed people, myself included. So now you be a blessing to her. Right? And so it seems like, as the elders here at Grace Fellowship have asked and answered these questions about our next steps forward with deacon ministry and who can be a deacon, it needs to be someone full of the Spirit and wisdom. Can it be a man? Yes. Can it be a woman? Yes. And we believe that Scripture backs that up. Now, here's why it's important that we talked about this today. And some of you are going, yeah, you lost me like 20 minutes ago. Uh, sorry. But here's why we talk about this and what I think there's three things that I want us to take away from this conversation and why it even matters. Number one, the church of Jesus is unified, not divided. The church of Jesus is unified, not divided. We're meant to be people who, as a church, as a local body and congregation, that when we make decisions along these lines, that we want there to be unity that comes from it. And that we point everything, when it comes to unity, to Scripture, right? So I grew up in a church that had a deacon ministry model, but didn't have elders. We have elders, but we don't have deacons. And so it seems like, scripturally, that the Bible would say, if we're really going to be unified with Christ and unified biblically along some of these things, we need both roles, elders and deacons, right? And so part of the reason that the church I grew up in didn't have elders was because the deacons acted as elders. They were kind of given the title of that without really that being their role. And so there was a mixed message in the middle of all that. Right, And so for us, as we think about this and we think about how we're going to move forward in it, that we want to say we want to be unified as a church, that it's going to be a role that helps us carry on the ministry with elders and deacons, with men and women in that role. Number two, the gospel of Jesus breaks down barriers. Right, This is huge. Andy Stanley is fond of saying that he thinks every woman should be a Christian. Because no one in history has done more for women than Jesus. And no, no organization has done more for women and equality and rights than the church. That's just been true across history. You can see it in Rome, and you can see it everywhere that the church moves. Where women have no voice, have no role, are still seen as uh, objects to be owned. When the church comes along, Jesus elevates the status of women. Paul and Peter and the apostles elevate the status of women. In the church, there's meant to be this, uh, this breaking down of barriers. Uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 28, Paul writes and says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's not male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, listen, these, all these things that the world would use to, to divide us and to, to keep things separate and to make us angry at each other and to cause fights and quarrels, he goes, none of that exists in the church. It shouldn't exist in the church because there's this equality that comes. And that God elevates us to the same place. We have different roles and functions, but we're all equal. And so he shows us that in the church. And then number three, a healthy church is a serving church. This is why this conversation is so important. The word deacon in Greek simply means servant. Right? So while there are specific roles that some of you will be asked to play a role as a deacon in our church, all of us are meant to be servants. We're all given the responsibility and the privilege to serve in the church. We're all supposed to carry our weight. For anybody who says, well, I come to church just for what I get out of it. I receive things that I need and like from the church, but I don't do anything to bless anybody else. You're missing the point of what God's called you to do. We're called to receive from God so that we can go and be a blessing to others. 
We're called to benefit from this gathering of believers in Jesus so that we can go and bless and benefit others. We're all called to be servants. And so I'm going to end our time this morning by expending a little bit of pastoral capital on one topic of conversation, and that is in the role of one ministry in our church. Um, We're blessed to be growing as a church, and God's bringing us new people all the time. And one of the ways that we're growing the most is in the area with families with young kids, and especially children, preschool and elementary school age kids. It's amazing. If you walk back on a Sunday morning and see our children's ministry, it is alive and bustling, right? It's crazy. And every church I've ever been a part of has struggled in the area of volunteers for children. Every church, always. Every pastor I ever talked to, they all have the same problem. We can never get enough volunteers. Our kids, it's just a struggle. It's like pulling teeth to get people to volunteer for kids' ministry. And I would say that is exactly the case here at GFC. But I would go to the next step of saying it's almost even more hard here than anywhere else I've ever served. Um, right now you can look around and you can see our elementary school kids in the service with us. We love having kids in the services. We love that they come and hang out with us. Um, they are not here only because we don't have a lack of volunteers right now. Uh, we made a conscious decision and and a desire to take some time this month to give Ashley's volunteer team some time off. And so we said, let's use June. Let's just give them a break. We have some volunteers who are just, to be honest, going through some burnout because they're serving every single week after one after another. Uh, with no help, with few volunteers. And so there's a few people carrying a big load. Uh, And so to bless them, we said, let's just give them the month off. Let's ask our kids to come in here. And uh, and if anybody doesn't like it, they can be mad at me. I'll take the sweat for that. All right? But here's what I want to say today. As we get back into next month and into the fall, when we anticipate even more people coming into our congregation, into our church, and even more families with kids coming, we're going to need more volunteers. We need you to step up. We need people who are going to say the generation that is growing up in our children's ministry is going to have loving adults who love Jesus and who's going to speak into their lives and teach them and love them and encourage them so that maybe one day one of them will stand on a stage like Ellie Malcolm and lead worship for our church, right? Like that's the goal. We invest in the next generation, We're blessed by God. Let's go be a blessing. And one of the areas that we need help, church, is in our kids' ministry. We need you to stop making excuses as to why you can't do that. Well, if I serve in the kids' ministry, then I miss church. No, you don't. We have two services. Come to both of them. You can serve in one, and you can worship in one. That's why we designed it this way in the first place. Well, but if I do that, that's like four hours. Yep, it is. You're still done by lunch. You can go to lunch with everybody else. All right. No more excuses. We need people who love Jesus and who are going to love kids to come and to serve. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do it every single week. Maybe you can serve every other week. Maybe you can serve once a month. Maybe you can be somebody who can go, I can do it every single week. I love it. I want to be there with the kids. I want to serve them and love them. If you want to help out with that, Ashley Maston would love to talk to you. She's our children's minister. She would love to have a conversation with you. You can find her out in the gathering area right after the service this morning. All right? So, that's my pitch. Go serve our kids, all right? Uh, we need it. We need the help. And, uh, and we're blessed by people who love kids well, but we want to do a great job as a church of seeing that that next generation is taken care of. 
Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.